put us in your shoes a little bit of what it's like to live in a place where, uh, where faith is costly. About two or three weeks ago, uh, one disciple of ours was uh, actually put on trial for becoming a Christian and was sentenced to hanging. Uh, the normal experience for uh, believers is to be kidnapped, uh, beaten, tortured, uh, in attempt to make them recant their new faith. I'm, I'm curious uh, what that does for your faith. It has taught me in a very real way that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. And I think God is doing some really big things right now around us, uh, not because it's we have some great strategy. In fact, we never intended to go start a school. Uh, we get to be on the front row seat to see what God is doing. Give us some, some stories of where God has shown up. One lady we call Tessain uh, had a dream uh, in the night of Jesus and woke up that next morning and said, I want to follow Jesus. And never had a missionary, never had a Bible. This was She just knew the dream. Was that unique or is that, do you hear that more than once? Oh, more than once. Across the Arab world, this is a normal way uh, that people are coming to faith. Meeting Jesus in a dream. Yes. Wow. Wow. Those that have been coming to Chapel Street for a while know that this is a, a, an Advent tradition that we have of supporting different global workers doing various things. And we've heard that the goal of, of 500,000 mm -hmm. will go towards this Hope School. Talk about the impact. If we were to meet that goal, talk about the impact you think it would have for the school, for the community, for the city. Just kind of tell us what you think could happen were all of this to, to take place. Yeah, very simply, uh, we have an 86,000 square foot facility that's brand new, but the insides are not finished. So we're using about 20% of the square footage that has been outfitted as classrooms. We are maxed out with 200 students, uh, but we have a plan that we could have 1,500 students. Wow. And so that amount would be able to help us outfit the entire building uh, in order to go from 200 to 1,500 students. This sounds like it would just be a game changer in that community, would it's it a not? It's a total game changer. Yeah. And it's nothing like it in, uh, we're in a city of millions of people. Yeah. There's nothing like it. In fact, really over the past decade, uh, due to conflict in the country, there has not been a full year of education. Is there anything else you, you wish our church to know? Any last words you want to leave us with? Yeah, just to be uh, very clear, you know, we've talked about how Chapel Streeters can get involved. Uh, obviously, the first one is uh, financially. And I would just encourage, I mentioned uh, <clears throat> this is an opportunity to stretch your faith. I remember when Carrie and I first decided we're going to go. We left our house uh, for a weekend, and we actually had people that do estate sales come in and like put price tags on all the things we owned. And uh, we came back, we approved the prices, left another weekend, and then it was just all gone. And, and something that we have learned in doing this is as we take sacrificial steps of faith, uh, our faith grows, and we see God showing up in huge ways. And so as Chapel Streeters are thinking about how can they partner with us, uh, we have never gone wrong by taking faith steps uh, sacrificial faith steps, and then seeing how God shows up.
put us in your shoes a little bit of what it's like to live in a place where, uh, where faith is costly. About two or three weeks ago, uh, one disciple of ours was uh, actually put on trial for becoming a Christian and was sentenced to hanging. Uh, the normal experience for uh, believers is to be kidnapped, uh, beaten, tortured, uh, in attempt to make them recant their new faith. I'm, I'm curious uh, what that does for your faith. It has taught me in a very real way that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. And I think God is doing some really big things right now around us, uh, not because it's we have some great strategy. In fact, we never intended to go start a school. Uh, we get to be on the front row seat to see what God is doing. Give us some, some stories of where God has shown up. One lady we call Tessain uh, had a dream uh, in the night of Jesus and woke up that next morning and said, I want to follow Jesus. And never had a missionary, never had a Bible. This was, she just knew the dream. Was that unique or is that, do you hear that more than once? Oh, more than once. Across the Arab world, this is a normal way uh, that people are coming to faith. Meeting Jesus in a dream. Yes. Wow. Wow. Those that have been coming to Chapel Street for a while know that this is a, a, an Advent tradition that we have of supporting different global workers doing various things. And we've heard that the goal of, of 500,000 mm -hmm. will go towards this Hope School. Talk about the impact. If we were to meet that goal, talk about the impact you think it would have for the school, for the community, for the city. Just kind of tell us what you think could happen were all of this to, to take place. Yeah, very simply, uh, we have an 86,000 square foot facility that's brand new, but the insides are not finished. So we're using about 20% of the square footage that has been outfitted as classrooms. We are maxed out with 200 students, uh, but we have a plan that we could have 1,500 students. Wow. And so that amount would be able to help us outfit the entire building uh, in order to go from 200 to 1,500 students. This sounds like it would just be a game changer in that community, wouldn't it's it? A game, it's a total game changer. Yeah. And it's nothing like it in... Uh, we're in a city of millions of people. Yeah. There's nothing like it. In fact, really over the past decade, uh, due to conflict in the country, there has not been a full year of education. Is there anything else you, you wish our church to know? Any last words you want to leave us with? Yeah, just to be uh, very clear, you know, we've talked about how Chapel Streeters can get involved. Uh, obviously, the first one is uh, financially. And I'll just encourage, I mentioned... Uh, this is an opportunity to stretch your faith. I remember when Carrie and I first decided we're going to go. We left our house uh, for a weekend, and we actually had people that do estate sales come in and like put price tags on all the things we owned. And uh, we came back, we approved the prices, left another weekend, and then it was just all gone. And, and something that we have learned in doing this is as we take sacrificial steps of faith, uh, our faith grows and we see God showing up in huge ways. And so as Chapel Streeters are thinking about how can they partner with us, uh, we have never gone wrong by taking faith steps, uh, sacrificial faith steps, and then seeing how God shows up.
There's nothing I hate more than seeing myself on screen. <laughs> that was, I hope you enjoyed that, because I did not. <laughs> uh, thanks, Stetson, for leading us. I've never heard a worship leader completely bash a song and then lead it so well. That was, I enjoyed that as, as well. That was great. Um, Hey, as Andrew mentioned earlier, we're so excited that we get to partner with uh, Doug and Carrie and his family. Uh, as you saw in that video, Bruce and I uh, sat down with him. We actually talked for about 45 minutes uh, just about his life and his ministry and what God is doing. Um, and we have released that whole conversation um, on our podcast feed. Uh, some of you know this, some of you might listen. If not, we have a weekly podcast we do called the For Where You Are podcast. Uh, if you search that, or if you just go to our website, you can listen to the whole thing. It's up there right now, um, and I would encourage you to do that. He had so many great things to share, so many stories, uh, and, and was just really vulnerable with us, and, and we were grateful for that. So uh, make sure you go check that out, and continue just to consider uh, what your role is uh, in our partnership with him and with Hope School and, and with what God is doing. It's a big goal that we have. It's the biggest goal that we've ever had. Uh, and we're looking forward to seeing what God does uh, in and through his people. <clears throat> Let's pray, uh, and then we'll open up God's word together. Heavenly Father, we just come to you again so grateful for who you are. Lord, we're grateful for the Christmas message and, and what it represents. We're grateful that you have come into this world for us. Lord, thank you for being here among us right now as we speak, as we worship, as we hear from your word, would you just continue to guide us closer to you? Amen. Uh, several years ago, my wife Judy and I, um, we had been married a couple years at this point, and we were living in Indianapolis, um, and I came home to something that I was not expecting. Uh, we decided at that point in our marriage, we weren't ready to have kids yet, but we were considering getting a dog. And by that, I mean she was considering getting a dog. Um, <clears throat> and so we talked about it, and, and we decided that because we lived in a small second-floor apartment and because we both worked during the day and were gone for most of the day and, and because we didn't have a lot of extra income to go towards taking care of a pet, uh, that it probably wasn't the right time. But that when we were ready, we would go together to a local shelter and we would pick one out. Some of you are ahead of me. Um, sure enough, a few months later, I came home, and I was sitting on our couch, and the door cracks open, uh, and her face kind of pokes in, and do you guys know the phrase, ask for forgiveness, not permission? Um, if that phrase was a face, she had it. Uh, and so she opens the door, and she walks in, and then behind her in walks a dog, and it's our dog. And we can take them back to the shelter if you want, but they're at capacity, and you know what that means. And if you want to be the reason, that's up to you. And so that's how we got our dog, Wrigley. <laughs> and I did not acknowledge that dog for like three days. I was so mad, and now he's my best friend. He's great. Uh, I saw someone post this a while ago. They said, there's no purer love in the world than the love between a grumpy dad and the dog he didn't want. <laughs> and that is the story of Wrigley and me. Today, that's what I want to talk about with you. I want to talk about unexpected family additions. We're in our uh, third week of this Advent series we've been calling the Spirit of Christmas as we get closer and closer to Christmas morning. And we've been doing this. We've been looking at different parts of this famous story that so many of us know so well. And we've been looking at it through the lens of what is the role of the Holy Spirit in the Christmas story. 
We started this a couple weeks ago. Maybe you remember this by going to the prophet Isaiah and his words that a savior would come, that life would come where there seems to be only death. And then last week we saw the Holy Spirit preparing the hearts of John the Baptist and his parents and how he gave John a particular purpose, a purpose that all of us who follow Jesus are called to as well, to point people to Christ, to make way for the newborn That brings us to today as we turn our attention to one of the most important moments and one of the most important people in the Christmas story, as we focus on Mary, the mother of Jesus, the moment in which it was revealed to her that God was going to use her in a miraculous and completely unexpected way, that from her a child would be born, that child would change the world forever. So today, if you have a Bible with you, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at this moment together, and we're going to see three things, a divine revelation, a spirit-filled conversation, and then a faithful proclamation. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, says this. In the sixth month, the angel, Gabriel, was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. We'll pause here. Here's the first thing that we see in our story, this divine revelation. This divine revelation. Um, I remember back when uh, Judy found out that she was pregnant, we experienced something that I think might be new to parents of my generation. I'm not sure if this is true, and so if you are Gen X or Baby Boomer or whatever you are, let me know if I'm wrong. I'm happy to be proven wrong. But, but we felt all of this pressure uh, to share our news in a fun and creative way. I don't know if this is a millennial thing or a social media thing. I don't know what it is. Um, like, did you guys just call back? And It doesn't matter. Um, and so we were trying to figure out what to do, and, and we decided that we were going to tell my mom uh, in a special way. So we bought a bandana for our dog that said Big Brother. And so we were like, this is so fun, so cute. So we, we brought him over to her house, and we were so anxious about this because we knew that she had been wanting to be a grandma for, for such a long time. And, and so we walk in, and she sees this bandana, and she got so excited, and she looked at us, and she said, you're getting a puppy? <laughs> sort of. So next time, we'll probably just text her. It's fine. But I was reminded of that day of reading this story here, of this this shocking announcement. And remember for a moment just the context in which all of this is happening. Remember that the people of Israel had been living in complete silence from God for 400 years. 400 years with no messages, no prophets, no dreams, no visions, no miracles. There had been no sign of his presence for generations. And then God shows up. 
He shows up in this incredible way with this incredible message where each statement is more unbelievable than the one before it. That a child was coming. And not just a child, but the child, the one that you have been waiting for. The child whose name reveals his purpose, Jesus. God saves. The child that will be great the Son of God, that will fulfill the promise that God makes to King David all the way back in Second Samuel chapter 7, that your house and your kingdom and your throne will be established forever. Can you imagine the look on Mary's face as he says these words to her? Here's the first lesson from the story. That just because God is silent, it does not mean he is still. 400 years went by without a word from God. 400 years of oppression. 400 years of questioning if God was still there. 400 years of silence. But God was not still. He was still working. He was preparing. He was moving. He knew the exact right time and the exact right person. And this time had arrived. See, I know that for many of us, we've been waiting on God for what feels like forever. You've been waiting for healing, waiting for reconciliation, waiting, praying for a spouse or a child or a grandchild. You've been waiting for someone that you love to come to salvation. And maybe you know what it's like for it to seem like God is silent. But today, this story reminds us that just because he is silent, it does not mean he is still. He is still working. Back to our story. Uh, notice a few things here, because here in this text, we see so many things about how God works in the world. We see him show up to this unexpected place and this unexpected person. We see this place in uh, verse 26. We're told this, that in the sixth month, that's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. We saw that last week. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel shows up to a town called Nazareth. Pause here for a moment, because of all the places for the Christmas story to begin, nobody would have picked Nazareth. It was a small town, maybe 400 people, not even mentioned in the Old Testament. It was considered so unimportant, not influential at all. Back when I was uh, in college, I would drive back and forth to my school, and, and I would take this two-lane country road through uh, the farms of Indiana. And every 10 minutes or so, you would go by this town, and the town was, you know, one stoplight and a gas station and normally a church and a bunch of abandoned buildings, and it just seemed a little bit haunted. That was Nazareth. In fact, one of the only things we're told about this comes from someone who would become one of Jesus' disciples. We see this in John chapter 1, where Nathaniel, is told about Jesus, that he is the Messiah, that he comes from Nazareth, and his response is pretty ugly. Can anything good come from Nazareth? This is its reputation. We have this unexpected place, and then we have this unexpected person in verse 27, this Nazarene girl, probably a teenager, named Mary. And again, we don't know much about her. There's not really a lot written, but I think that's exactly the point. She was a teenage girl living under the oppression of Rome. She was betrothed to be married to a blue-collar worker, a tradesman. She was, in the world's eyes, kind of a nobody, living in the middle of nowhere. 
And this is where God shows up. And this is who he shows up to. Don't miss this because this is such an important part of the Christmas story that this is God putting his plan into action, the thing that the Jewish people had been waiting on, the thing that we still look back to and celebrate and remember, and yet God does not show up in Jerusalem or in Rome or to a king or a priest or a politician. He shows up here in a place that nobody had ever heard of to someone that went by completely over. This is how God begins his master plan. That out of humble beginnings would come one that would be great. Out of a small overlooked place would come the son of the most high. From a normal overlooked girl would come a king that would reign forever. And this is why this is so encouraging that this is what God does. This is what he loves to do. We see this in 1 Samuel chapter 16. That man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Do you know what this is written about? Who it's written about? King David, the one whose throne this Messiah would inherit. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, saying that God loves to use what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, what is low and weak to shame the strong, so that no one would boast in their own ability. Here's the good news for you today. If you've ever felt like you are not enough, it's the good news if you don't have it all together this Christmas season. If maybe this year Christmas brings up things like grief or loss or pain. This is the encouragement that we see throughout Scripture if you've ever felt overlooked or forgotten or alone. That God delights in using people that nobody else would. God does not look and he is not impressed by appearances and by bank accounts and by resumes or anything else that this world values so much. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Christmas is big enough for you no matter where you've been or what you've done. Notice next what the angel says to Mary. This is verse uh, 28. It says, He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You have found favor with God. That word for favor meaning grace. That God has given grace to Mary. And this is where we have to be a little bit careful because I think there are two mistakes that we could make as we discuss the role and the person of Mary. On one hand, we could take her and we could elevate her to a place that only God belongs. We could say that not only has God given her grace, but that she can also act as a mediator of grace. Not just receiving grace, but giving it. If you grew up with a Catholic background or have that as part of your story, maybe that sounds familiar to what you were taught. The other mistake, though, is that we could say that there's nothing special about Mary, that she's not an important part of the Christmas story, not an important figure in our faith. And both of these things find themselves in tension with what the Scripture says. Not that Mary is someone to pray to, not that she was perfect, not that she was any different in her nature, but that she is tremendously important. Why? 
Because God, in his grace, in his mercy, chose Mary. God gave her an invitation to be part of his story, and she was ready to receive it. See, this is what's so beautiful about how God works, that just as God offers grace to her today, he offers grace to you. This is what the Gospels declare, that what's true of Mary, that the Lord is with her, is true of anyone ready to receive it. We see this in John chapter 1, verse 16, that from him we receive grace upon grace. That's the exact same word for favor used by this angel. Today, God invites you, and he invites me into the story that he is creating. He invites you not by your own goodness, not because you've achieved something, not because you are enough, but because he is. Because by his grace and by his favor, you have been invited into a bigger story, into a purpose bigger than yourself. Grace is an invitation to every single day say yes to God. This is the revelation that Mary receives. Uh, That brings us to a spirit-filled conversation. A spirit-filled conversation. Um, As you can see, I brought a gift with me today. This is from me to me. It's my favorite kind of gift. Um, Now, this is is a big moment, Andrew, for how I feel about your church. Um, How many of you know what this is? Just show of hands if you are familiar with this. Okay. I preached this message last night, and like nobody knew. I was so sad. If you're not familiar, um, this is the Nintendo 64 game system. It was released in 1996, and it is the greatest video game system ever created. (laughs) Come on. Um, It was the very best, and I love it very much. And I brought a game with me. Um, This is Mario Party 2. Has anyone ever played this game? I have lost friendships over this game. I am never less like Jesus than when I am playing Mario Party 2. Like, I am vindictive, and I am boastful, and it's the best game. Um, but as you can see, this is, uh, I still have this from my childhood, and my, my wife will tell you this, that this is one of my most prized possessions that I own. Like, we moved last year into uh, our house in St. Charles, and when we moved, I did not let anyone move this. Like, I drove it separately in my car. I, like, surrounded it with bubble wrap. I put a seatbelt around it. No, I didn't do that. That would have been smart, though. Um, And last night, I mentioned I I preached this message. I used this illustration. And before the service, uh, we have a family that has twin uh, teenage daughters. They're like 15 or so. And before service, I went to them. I said, do you know what this is? And they looked at me like I was 1,000 years old. (laughs) Like, aging is fun. Um, (laughs) But if you ever played a game on the N64, you know that there is kind of a quirk about playing this game. That sometimes you will put the the game into, the cartridge into the system, and you'll try to turn it on, and it won't work. And does anyone remember what you have to do to make it work? (laughs) You do that, and for some reason, you do it again, and it works. It's like you you did CPR to a video game. It's the very best. (laughs) It's like breathing life into Mario Party 2, and it was awesome. And so I'm going to put this here. Uh, Don't let me forget this, Andrew. I'm going to cry if I do. (laughs) <laughs> but this, I think, is, is kind of a picture of what we see the Holy Spirit doing in this story. Let me explain what I mean. Uh, look with me to Luke chapter 1, and we'll pick the story up in verse 34. This is the, uh, uh, Mary's response to the angel. 
It says, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. Think back for a moment, just to last week's message. If you were here, uh, we heard about this other miraculous birth, the birth of John the Baptist. And remember and notice the differences and also the similarities. We saw this earlier in Luke 1, how the same angel comes to Zechariah the priest, someone with status and power, and tells him what will happen. And do you remember what his response was? He says, How shall I know this? I am old and my wife is advanced in years. Which is a great way for a guy to call his wife old without using the word old. Advanced in years. (laughs) But do you remember what happened to him? He was struck silent. He could not speak for nine words because of his lack of faith. Now contrast that to Mary. Someone with no status, no power, who asks a very similar question. How will I, as a virgin, give birth to a son? It's a great question. And yet she is given the answer. See, this, I think, is the difference. That Mary asks her question in faith. That God saw that unlike Zechariah, someone who should have known better, someone who knew the story of Abraham and Sarah given a child in their old age as well, that Mary in her heart, believed what the angel said was true, that nothing is impossible with God. Here's a question for you. Why a birth like this one? Why an impossible birth? Why a baby born of a virgin? Is it just to make Jesus seem special? God must have known that people would struggle to believe this part of the story, so why do it? Why was this necessary for God's plan? Have you ever wondered that? Paul talks about the answer in Galatians chapter 4. We're going to see the first verse on the screen, then I'm going to read verse 5 as well. Uh, I forgot to tell the tech team to include that, so that's on me. Uh, Galatians 4 verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, and then this is verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. In other words, this is why Jesus had to be born like this, because of sin. Because of your sin and my sin, we required a holy and pure sacrifice to redeem us. Because we were unworthy and unable to make our way to God, because we needed a mediator. Someone both human and divine. God and man. I love how uh, C.S. Lewis puts this. Pastor Jeff isn't here, but we're still going to hear from C.S. Lewis. Um, He says this, The Son of God became man to enable men to become sons of God. This is the why. Okay, what about the how? You've heard people ask this before. Maybe you've even wondered it yourself. How could this happen? How could you really believe this? How is that even possible? It's a great question, a question that maybe goes beyond our full and complete understanding. 
And what's interesting is that Luke does not seem very concerned with answering it. He gives us only this detail in verse 35, that this child will not be born like every other child. That the Holy Spirit will rest upon her, that the power of God will overshadow her. The imagery there being the same thing as what I did to my video game all those years ago. The same imagery that we see all throughout Scripture, that the Holy Spirit breathes life where there is no life. This is what the Spirit does. He does what only He can, that the presence and the power and the glory of God does the impossible. I think one of the best things that we can do when we don't fully understand the how is to remember the who. Skip Heitzig, who's a pastor out in uh, New Mexico, put it this way. He says that if you can get past the first verse of the Bible, the rest will be easy. If he can pull that off, he can pull anything off. I think he's right. That if God was there in the beginning and brought about everything and created the heavens and the earth and you and me, then what the angel declares must be true, that all things are possible for him. That the spirit that came upon and overshadowed Mary is the same spirit that we see in the second verse of the Bible, hovering over the water, bringing about life and light where there was only darkness. Who is more important than how? What a disappointment it would be to have a God that we fully understand. What a small God that would be. What an unworthy God that would be to follow and give our lives to. Back in uh, Ezekiel 37, there's a a really strange passage uh, where God reveals a vision to the prophet Ezekiel of a valley of dry bones. And in this vision, God breathes his spirit over the bones, and as he does, they come back to life, and they form a great and powerful army. And it's real strange. But the purpose of the vision is to give a picture of what the spirit does when we put our faith in God. We see here the final verse of this vision in Ezekiel 37, verse 14. He says, I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I've spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. See, here's the next thing that this story can teach us, that today, if you are following Jesus, the Spirit of God that brought creation into the world and the Spirit of God that did a miracle in Mary is the same Spirit that lives and breathes life in you. Now, what happened here? Creating a life in a way that seems impossible is nothing short of a miracle. And the same thing happened for you and for me that you were once dry bones, that you were once dead in your sin. And it was only the Spirit of God that breathes new life in you again. Jesus says in John chapter 3 that unless you are born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is what Mary shows us in this story, that if we truly understand who God is, we will live as people who expect the impossible to happen. Why? Because the impossible has already happened in me. The Christmas story is one of God doing what only he can do, of the Spirit bringing life into the world. 
How many of us can look at our lives and see the same thing? How many of, a, how many of us have a, a testimony of God showing up, of God doing something that we cannot explain, of God making a way when we thought there was no way? If today you are a follower of Jesus, you are living proof of what the angel said, that all things are possible with God. If today you find yourself waiting for him to do something, waiting for the impossible, do not give up your hope. Do not stop praying. Do not give in to the temptation of believing that no longer does God do the impossible. You are the impossible. You are proof that he still does miraculous works. We were all once dry bones in a valley, and he has breathed new life in us. Okay, quickly, look at the last part of the story, a faithful proclamation. Uh, This is verse 38. We're going to look at Mary's response um, to the angel's statements. Verse 38, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. See, this is why we need to make sure that we do not take Mary's life and example for granted. What an incredible proclamation of faith this is. That Mary experiences this revelation and has this conversation, and then she has the faith to say that I am a servant of God. Whatever he says, I will do. What faith this is. Consider for a moment how much this statement would have cost her in her life. Remember this, we saw this earlier in verse uh, 27. We see that she was betrothed to be married to Joseph. And quickly, the the context of this matters, so I'll try to uh, put put you in her shoes a little bit. Uh, Betrothal was kind of this in-between stage between what we would call engagement and marriage. So at this point, the families had agreed on this marriage, and normally the betrothal process would last around a year. Uh, And if they were to separate, they would legally have to get a divorce. So legally, they were married, although they were still living separately. And so essentially what Mary is doing here is putting everything that she is going to have on the line. She would assume that Joseph would leave her. She would assume that she would be shamed. She would assume that her reputation and that of her family would be completely shattered. She would assume that everyone would think that she had been unfaithful. She had everything to lose, and yet still, she says yes to God. Why? Why do that? Why risk everything? Because this is what faith does. Faith is a calculation. Faith takes a scale and puts everything that the world can offer, acceptance and wealth and family and happiness and reputation, and it says, as great as some of those things are, still greater is following and trusting and being obedient to my king. This is what the faith of Mary can teach us, that whatever the cost, there is nothing more valuable, nothing worth more than him. Mary could have said no. She could have refused. God doesn't force people to serve him. He could have found someone else if it was his will to do so. But faith recognizes that even if it costs me something and even if it costs me everything, 
that I am a servant of God. Like I mentioned, um, I got the chance to sit down with Doug and with Bruce for uh, about 45 minutes to chat, and, and I hope you, you're able to listen to it. He had just so much good stuff to share. Um, but one of the things you heard briefly in the video, uh, that as crazy as it seems maybe for some of us to even consider taking your family and moving them all the way across the world and, and uh, going to a place where faith in Jesus is dangerous, where their lives are at risk, that what he experienced over and over is that God has blessed every single step of obedience that God has given them a joy-filled life, a purposeful life, that he has given them favor and blessing that they never would have experienced if they held on to what they had. I'm not telling you to move across the world. I'm telling you to say yes to God. This is the faith that he desires from us. A faith that goes across the world or a faith that loves our neighbor across the street. A faith that recognizes that just like Mary, I am a servant of the Lord. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, saying that you are not your own, you were bought with a price. This is to be the posture with which we live. That wherever he calls me to go and whatever he asks me to do, I will do it. That as Mary says, uh, this would be the posture of our lives. Let it be to me according to your word. This, by the way, uh, is what the word amen means. So be it, or let it be. And this is the invitation that we have been given today, to live an amen type of life, a life grounded in love and in grace, a life filled with the power of the Spirit, and a life that trusts, that wherever God calls me, that obedience to him is always worth it, no matter what? If today you are a follower of Jesus, then you too are a servant of the Lord. Let it be to us according to his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we, we come to you grateful for who you are, grateful for what you've done. God, and grateful for what you have promised to do. Lord, we know that that not one of us are worthy of grace, or that not one of us are worthy of the favor that you give us. And yet you give it anyways, and we are so thankful. Father, now we ask that your spirit would lead us, that you would bring new life in us, and that you would remind us of the faith that we have been called to, a faith that says yes to you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Again, we're so glad you could join us today. Make sure if you're planning on joining for a Christmas Eve service that you register for those.